right. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Get Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Acts 2 and 2 Corinthians. Laura and I had a great time getting away this past week. Thank you for praying for us while we were traveling. We just had a just a blast. I ate more than any one human being ever ought to eat. So we had a good time. Diet starts back tomorrow. But uh, thanks for praying for us. We had a good time. Are you all doing good this morning? Amen. We get to study God's Word. And today it is... Today is what happened? I don't know. Just Bill Blakely causing trouble again? Okay. All right. So today is one of those Sundays that my message was going to be really long, so I've divided it into two. So Lord willing, today won't be quite as as cumbersome. But this is such an important subject, so let's read the passage, and then we'll just talk about some of the controversy and try to clear it up from the Scriptures. So look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Now when they heard this, so what did they hear? The preaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the accountability of Israel for the crucifixion of Christ, and that he truly is the Messiah and God. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And as we said last week, that must be the response to preaching. Not to the preacher, but to the preaching. When you hear the word of God, okay, what should I do? What should I do? Well, you should do whatever the Bible tells you to do. All right? So, this is what Peter tells them to do. Verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to hold your place here in Acts, and go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want you to see something important. Verse 1, would to God, so first, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. So this is Paul writing to this church at Corinth. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. So as your pastor, I'm jealous over you. Um, I when I hear that maybe a, a, a doctrinal issue has come in that would be affecting you. Well, I'm going to get up, and that's not what I'm doing today, but I would get up and I would, I would teach on that doctrine to help you. I'm jealous over you. I want you to stay true to the Word of God, true to the faith, true to the Lord Jesus Christ. And though I'm not an apostle, far from an apostle, that's the heart of the pastor. I care about Grace Baptist Church, but that's not this. It's you. That's what Grace Baptist Church is, and I'm jealous over you. I'm jealous over your kids. I want to make sure that they're learning the truth, that they stand in the truth, that they know the truth. But let's read on. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I heard a preacher not long ago say, well, I I don't know that the church is the bride of Christ. Well, what in the world is this talking about then right here? Don't people come up with dumb ideas? All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. So let me just step back and make a comment. Paul wants this church to be pure. 
That's the idea of a chaste virgin, pure. And that virginity is something to be honored, amen, protected. And as a church, we need to make sure that we are pure. How are we sure that we are a pure church? Well, the doctrine of baptism and the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, those are two aspects that help the church remain pure. Through baptism, by by you giving a public testimony that you agree with the doctrine of this church. You're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have repented of your sin. You've acknowledged Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you are identifying with this body and with Jesus Christ in your baptism. That's one way we keep it pure. The Lord's Supper is another way we keep it pure. When someone is living in open sin... And we have addressed that. We have that the individual who discovered it goes and talks to the person. They won't listen. They take it to the church. Some men from the church go and talk to the person. They refuse to be heard. Then we take it before the whole congregation and we tell you, you can't really, we're going to have to set this person outside of our church. They can't take the Lord's Supper with us. That's another way that we maintain purity in the church. The ordinances. It's so interesting. 1 Corinthians, hold your place here in 2 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11, verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I am, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. That you keep, what are the ordinances? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. What's the connection with our message today? Peter preached to them, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. All right, so where does the baptism fit into this? Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All right, verse 3. So he wants to present the church to Christ, a chaste version. Verse 3, here's the problem. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the, what's that word? Everybody read it, from the what? That is in Christ. From the what? So what is the simplicity that we have in Christ? Salvation is the death, burial, or the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. That's very simple. There's just one component, Christ. That's salvation is in Christ. Faith in Him, repentance toward God, faith toward Jesus Christ. We'll see that probably next week. We'll get to that text. But look at what this says again. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity... That is in Christ. So how would this church be removed from the simplicity that is in Christ? How would, is everybody following with me? How, so he wants this church to be pure. He wants them to be a chaste virgin. How is Satan going to, to destroy that purity by, according to verse 3, corrupting them from simplicity? All right, verse 4. How would he do that? For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus. So the first way this can happen is through a false preacher. A preacher preaching false 
doctrine. Well, how are we going to stop that? Well, number one, you have a pastor. And if your pastor is right, if your pastor is doing right, he will only allow people to preach things in the pulpit that are true. And on those rare occasions where a preacher preaches something from our pulpit that is not true to the Word of God, I will correct that. All right? So that's one way. But how is Satan going to do that? By false preachers, or I'm sorry, not false preachers, preachers preaching false doctrine being allowed to preach in the pulpit. How many of you have noticed we don't bring in very many guest speakers at Grace Baptist Church? We're just very careful. We're very careful, okay? Verse 4 again. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached. Oh, another Jesus. Another Jesus. Maybe a Jesus that would affirm gay marriage. Or a Jesus that would affirm all this multi-gender ideology. That's another Jesus. Jesus said, male and female created he them. That's what Jesus said. That's just one thing that you could say wrong about Jesus. Or if I said that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Yes, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also have to do these other things. Well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible, nor is it the salvation of the Bible, okay? The, another Jesus, whom we have not received or have not preached. Or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received. What is another spirit? Saying that the Holy Ghost would compel you to do something that would violate Scripture. Brother Tim, it's good to see you. I got your email yesterday. Just saw that. Good to see you guys. Tim and Laura, glad you're back. Laura's getting ready to have surgery, aren't you? We need to pray for Laura. Knee replacement? All right, good to see you guys. But look at what this says. Another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit. If, if you sense a spirit that you think is from God that is telling you to do something that would violate the word of God, that's another spirit. That is not the true spirit of God because the Holy Spirit will only say those things which the Father and the Son have told him to say. That's what Jesus told us when he sent the Holy Spirit. All right? Or, middle of verse 4, another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Look at what it says. The gospel has to be accepted. A different gospel than the gospel you accepted from me, Paul is saying. What would another gospel be? That's what we're looking at this morning. What would another gospel be? A gospel that, that, that is not as simple as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's, let's see if you guys might know what's going on. Um, come on up here, Anderson. Okay, this pen's so nice, I don't even want you to touch it. But I'm going to let you. All right, so does anybody have any idea what I'm about to do right now? Okay, so let's say I want to make this pen a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? Take it. Just take it. That's what a gift is. Now, in order to keep it, that's so nice. You've got to wash my car every week for the next 40 years. You're going to give it back. Okay, thank you, Anderson. You see, Anderson has enough sense to know that if you think something is a gift, someone presents something to you as a gift, but then you have to work for the next 40 years to have it that it's not a gift. So what did they do? They take the gift... And make it less simple. They're removed from the simplicity that we have in Christ. 
There's a great author, and of course, he has a great name. His name is John T. Christian. Isn't that a good name for a Christian writer? John T. Christian. He wrote a book called The History of the Baptist. He wrote many books, but one of his books is The History of the Baptists. And he said that the first attack on Christianity was to remove the people from the simplicity that they have in Christ. What was the first move away from the simplicity that we have in Christ? Go to Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's Acts 2.38. So the first move away from the simplicity of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was to add baptism to salvation. To say you must believe, but in order to go to heaven, you must believe and also be baptized. So please don't answer yes to this. Is everybody awake? I'll know you're not awake if you answer yes to this. Did... Did Peter, is Peter the one that brought the false doctrine? Is Peter the one that removed us from the simplicity of the gospel? No. See, y'all did good. That was, that, was, that was good. No, he didn't. But a misunderstanding of this verse is what has caused so much trouble. So, obviously, we know, look at um, 1 Corinthians. Hold your place here in Acts. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We know that baptism is not a part of the gospel because of what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. Now understand that for the church, we don't get our doctrine from the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, our church doctrine. We get our church doctrine from the church epistles, those written by the apostle Paul. So here's what Paul said in verse uh, 17. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. Before we read, we read the, the verse, remember that the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians are God's books of divine order. They're God's books of divine order. In 1 Corinthians 14, the apostle Paul writes, let all things be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. All right, but look at verse 17. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That tells me that baptism is not a part of the gospel. That's a good place to say amen. So now baptism is important to Baptists. It kind of goes together, doesn't it? But baptism is not a part of salvation. It's a testimony to salvation. And let me show that to you just in the context of Acts chapter 2. So let me, let me just, again, let me reiterate. Paul commended the church at Corinth for keeping the ordinances as he had delivered them. What are the ordinances? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Why are they called ordinances? Because they were ordered by the Lord and affirmed by the Apostle Paul in the church. So these are ordinances. The first of our ordinances is baptism, but baptism must be done in its proper order, and it is faith and then baptism. Okay? So back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, 
Repent. So what is it to repent? Repentance, John Phillips, I'll be reading some of his things in a minute. He said, repentance is a change of mind, a deliberate turning away from a previous course of conduct. It's a a change of mind and a deliberate turning away from a previous course of conduct. That's what repentance is. All right, so repent. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is such an unusual text. I heard one preacher say a good way to understand it, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. The, the, the baptism is for the remission of sins. Your baptism does not remit the sins. So, um, if Sam gets arrested for shoplifting, all right, he's arrested for shoplifting. That is not giving him permission to shoplift. Right? Repent for the remission of sins. The repentance does not cause the remission. The repentance is... I'm sorry. The baptism does not cause the remission. The repentance is for the remission. Because the sins have been remitted, you are baptized. Because the shoplifting has been committed, you are arrested. All right? Now, if you live in California, if it's under $1,000, you're not arrested. So go ahead and take something. How many of you did not know that? These people are crazy. All right. So, why is there so much conflict on this? This morning, so I had a message on repentance where we're going to go through all the book of Acts and look at how they preach repentance. That's probably going to come next Sunday. Because this morning, I wanted to get some background on on one of my verses. And so I read one of my favorite commentators, John Phillips, on this verse. And so now this morning, my message is telling you what John Phillips said about this verse. Because this is going to be really helpful for you. That idea of being baptized for the remission of sins, I I think that that's true, but I think there's more going on in this text than that. So let's cover some things. All right, so again, here's what Philip said. The order of salvation in this verse is quite different from what we find anywhere else in the New Testament. So we don't find this formulation. The only, the only other place we find it, hold your place in Acts, go to Mark chapter 16. And this one is not difficult. All right, Mark 16. And look at what it says in verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. So this one is much easier because you believe and then you're baptized. But if you don't believe, you're damned. It doesn't say if you don't believe and are not baptized. Why? Because baptism follows belief. It's not a vital component of the belief. So that one's not difficult. All right? 
This Acts 2.38 has caused doctrinal difficulty. And this is where I think Philip's explanation of this is so helpful. So again, here's Philip's. The order of salvation in this verse is quite different from what we find anywhere else in the New Testament, for it was a unique situation. These, listen, these were the people primarily responsible for the crime of Calvary. That's the message of Acts chapter 2. Look at what it says in verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. All right, so this is a unique message to a unique people. All right, for it was a unique situation. These were the people primarily responsible for the crime of Calvary. Again, with Phillips. The Hebrew nation was being held accountable to God for their dreadful guilt. It was a nation without excuse, and its judgment would be sure. The whole issue before the people now, as since the days of John the Baptist, was Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. That was the message, and that's who they rejected. Again, look at what it says in verse 22. Ye men of Israel, that's who the message is for. Ye men of Israel, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and ye that dwell at Jerusalem. This is a message to Israel. You have killed the Messiah. All right? That's why this is a very specific prescription for these people. The whole issue before the people now, as since the days of John the Baptist, was Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. The first step for the people was to separate themselves from their horrendous sin. Now, we looked at this last week. Look at what it says, Acts 2. And look at verse 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, this is Peter saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Remember last week we defined this. Generation can either be your children. So Lydia and Jacob are Laura and I. That's our generation. That's who we generated. Or it can be a race of people. Here it's talking about the Jews who killed Jesus. So... The Hebrew nation was being held accountable to God for their dreadful guilt. It was a nation without excuse, and its judgment would be sure. The whole issue before the people now, as since the days of John the Baptist, was Jesus the Messiah. The first step for the people was to separate themselves from their horrendous national sin. And there were two preliminary steps, repentance and baptism. Repentance and baptism. All right, so let's break this down. That took them back to the beginning. This repentance and baptism took them back to John the Baptist, back to the original message to the nation. What was John's message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, we're moving you away from this national kingdom to the kingdom of Christ. We're moving you from this to the kingdom of heaven, from the nation of Israel to the kingdom of heaven. That was the message of John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the people standing there in Jerusalem on Pentecost morning stood beneath the shadow of Calvary. They had killed Jesus. That's the message of Peter. Just 50 days before, they had killed Jesus. They needed above all to repent. That is, listen, they needed personally 
as individuals to repent of the enormous sin their nation had committed. We as Americans, we as citizens of the United States of America, we need to repent of what our, sa- our nation has done with all the children we have murdered, with the nations that we have invaded, with the governments that we've overthrown, with the evil that our nation has done, the misery that we've caused around the world, in spite of all the wonderful good things we've done around the world. The United States has done wonderful things in the world, but we've also done some evil things in the world. We are exporting pornography around the world. We're exporting all of this this hideous gender ideology around the world. We are exporting it. Well, we as, we as Americans, we need to go to God individually and say, forgive me for not doing more. Forgive me for not voting better. Forgive me for not speaking up more. Y'all see what I'm talking about? Now, I'm not going to be held accountable for the United States, and yet I am the government here. So are you. That is our system. And so these, even though these Jews, they really didn't have that kind of rule, these people that were standing there, they did say, give us Barabbas. They did say, crucify him. So not only is the nation going to be judged, the individuals now, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, now the message has changed from national salvation to individual salvation. And that's why repent and be baptized takes them back to the original message that was preached. And then we'll see the baptism here in a minute. Remember, repentance is a change of mind, a deliberate turning away from the previous course of conduct. Those Hebrews had to thus deliberately, listen, repudiate the sin of the Hebrew nation. This message that we're, that we're seeing right here, it's going to be preached all through the book of Acts. We're going to see it over and over and over again. You crucified Christ, repent. You crucified Christ, repent. All through the book of Acts. Now, we understand the repentance, but why is baptism a part of this? Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Phillips again. But their repentance had to be expressed just as publicly as their national sin had been expressed. Remember the message that's being preached. You crucified Jesus. Israel crucified Jesus. Repent and save yourself from this untoward generation. You had to separate yourself from identifying as an Israelite to identifying as a Christian. And you had to do that publicly in baptism. It's setting the model for what baptism will always be. Baptism is an identification with Jesus and an identification with doctrine that is also a separation from everything else. That's what's going on in this text. Their repentance had to be expressed just as publicly as the national sin had been expressed. And the way to make their decision public was by baptism. That again took them back to the beginning, back to John the Baptist. Now listen, this is so important. Go back to verse 38 again. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized. All right, connecting to John the Baptist. But every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. So now their sin was killing Jesus. Now they had to repent of that, acknowledge who Jesus is, the Son of God, risen from the dead, and then be baptized in his name publicly. To let everybody know, 
I'm no longer with them. Now I'm with Jesus and God's people. That's why they were added to the church. There could be no hedging on the issue for this people. It was absolutely essential that they be baptized to prove their repentance and to publicly proclaim their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There had to be a conscious repudiation of the guilt of the Hebrew nation by personal acknowledgement of Jesus. Doesn't all of that, does, and it's in the context, it's clear that that's the message, that's the requirement, the explanation is verse 40, Middle of the verse, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So it, salvation is for Israel, but only when you repudiate Israel. That's what he's saying. Israel in what they did in the crucifixion of Christ. Wow. So what is the significance of baptism in Acts 2 and verse 38? being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. This step would be a public acknowledgement of the fact that they were accepting Jesus as Savior from sin. And, And it's a giant step forward. This is a dispensational shift. It's a move from I'm bringing my sacrifice with the rest of the sacrifices of the whole nation to the high priest, and the high priest makes a sacrifice for the whole nation. Well, when Jesus died, that veil was rent in two. There's no, there's no longer a veil through which the high priest will go. Why? Because now we have a high priest that's ascended into the heavens that makes intercession for us individually, not nationally. And that's why this message becomes a public proclamation of the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ. Up to this point, the Jewish nation had looked to animal sacrifices offered in the temple as the source of remission. Even on the day of Pentecost, animals would be sacrificed in Jerusalem in accordance with a religious ordinance dating back 1,500 years. Peter was proclaiming an end to all of that. Why? Because as the lambs were sacrificed, Jesus Christ was the sacrificial lamb. No longer would animals have to, be, had, have to shed their blood. Jesus, it all pointed to Jesus, and now Jesus is the spotless human lamb who could die for all of humanity. What an amazing message this is. Jesus was God's lamb. God, in grace beyond all human comprehension, had taken the crime of Calvary and turned it into a means for taking away their sins. Listen to what what, what Phillips just said. God, in his amazing wisdom, he took the crime of Calvary and turned it into a means and a provision of salvation. Baptism in this case was given special prominence because it was a special case. By their baptism, they would be personally proclaiming their newfound faith in Christ. And at the same time, they would be publicly protesting the guilt of the Hebrew nation to which they belonged. Baptism is, how does this connect with us? Baptism is now a public profession of repentance and faith. That's what it is. That's what it was there. But for them, they had a national repentance. Why? Because they had killed Jesus. But they needed an individual salvation. National repentance, individual salvation, and then a public testimony of that repentance and salvation. What do we do? We place our faith and trust in Christ alone, acknowledging him as our Lord and Savior, recognizing that we deserve hell. That's that's who we are. And God saves us. 
through his amazing grace, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For them, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Now it's changed. It's changed. It's an amazing thing. So why do we baptize? To give a public testimony. So you can invite your family and friends to say, I used to believe this. Now I believe this. I used to live this way. Now I live this way. I used to be a part of that church. Now I'm a part of this church. That's what baptism is. That's why they've killed us for 2,000 years. The same reason they wanted to kill the apostles after they did this. See, baptism is a mark. It's an identification. It's a statement. It's a profession. It's a, it's a repudiation and an identification. A repudiation of all else and an identification with Jesus Christ, his church, and right doctrine. Isn't that wonderful? So this passage has caused all kinds of trouble, but it doesn't need to. In its context, the actual meaning of it is right in the context. It should cause us no consternation. It has the, the, the clear explanation right in its context. Amen? Now, I'm very thankful that I read that from Brother Phillips. He's in heaven. I'm very thankful that, that we have that. And uh, it, it just helped me explain it better today. I hope that you've been baptized, scripturally baptized, in a church of like faith and practice. If you haven't, you need to get baptized here. Talk to me about that. But... Doesn't, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. You place your faith, trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The only way. Why? Because that's the simplicity of the gospel. Simple. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Less simple. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures and baptism. One or two. One is simple. Two is less simple. Amen? That's the text. Let's all stand together. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for, first of all, giving us your word. Lord, then thank you for bringing men into our lives to teach us about context. Because in the context, the passage is clear.